lesson, we will have two additional apostles to look at that we're going to look at the original twelve, and that would be Thomas and then Judas Iscariot. Tonight we're going to look at two. And we're going to look at two because uh, I told someone we were going to have a short sermon tonight. They kind of laughed. I don't know if that was supposed to be uh, that they didn't think that that was possible or what. Uh, but usually when it is, I think it's going to be short. It ends up being about three times as long, so you might want to take notice. You might not be out of here until midnight. But the two that we're going to look at, there's not a lot of information out there about. We know, uh, we realize that there are three that are kind of obscure. Uh, Nathaniel, uh, James the Less, and Judas of James. When we look at those uh, individuals in the Bible, we find that there are three recorded statements from Nathaniel. There is one from Judas of James, and there are none from James the Less. There are no recorded deeds of the obscure three. Of those three, there's nothing recorded in the Bible that they did. And so all the information, or pretty much the information that we have about them is from outside sources. And as I've said before, I never really like to preach about outside sources or rely on that, but sometimes that's all we have. And some of the things that they say, I think we realize is speculation. And they don't really know that some are just guessing. And a lot of the information that I've looked at, I've left out uh, because uh, it is uh, some of it's a little outlandish, uh, if you ask me. But tonight we're looking at two. We're looking at James the Less and Judas of James. And we're going to look at, J- at James the Less first. Uh, there are four James in the New Testament. James the son of Zebedee, which was an apostle. We looked at him several weeks ago. Uh, Jesus had a brother by the name of James, and he authored the book of James. And in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6 or 19, it says, But others of the apostles saw I none save James the Lord's brother. So we know that James was a brother of Jesus, and there's, uh, he wrote a book in, in, which is included in the New Testament. We also know that there was James, there's James also was the father of Judas. There was also James, the father of Judas. And finally, there's James the Less, and that's the one we're talking about tonight. Uh, This description of him, uh, no doubt, was given to him to distinguish him from James of Zebedee and also James that was the brother of Jesus. Some think that the word less in this case means that he was shorter. I don't know if that's really what it means. The Bible doesn't tell us. But that's what some speculate. And in the Revised Standard Version, it renders him, James, the younger. So maybe perhaps he was younger than others that had been chosen as apostles. James had a father, and his father's name was Alphaeus. His mother was one of the Marys that followed Jesus and ministered to him, to Jesus while he was in Galilee. We also know that she stood afar off and watched the events of the cross as she came to the tomb early on the first day of the week. In Mark chapter 15, verses 40 and 41, it says, There also, or there were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, the, or James the Less, and of Joseph, and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him into Jerusalem. In Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, 
After Jesus had been crucified, laid in the tomb, and He had risen from the dead, on that Sabbath, uh, when that Sabbath was passed, as it tells us, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome uh, had brought uh, sweet spices that they might come and anoint Him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away. For he was very great, and entering into the for it was very great, and entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were frightened. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you in Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 14, we find that as he passed by, the, by he saw Levi the, the son of Alphaeus uh, sitting at the receipt of custom and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. We've seen that his mother was a follower of Jesus, that she ministered unto Jesus, but look at his father also. It's perhaps that this Alphaeus was also uh, related to uh, James the Less. Uh, because it's, uh, in that verse, it does mention that Levi was the son of Alphaeus, and some believe that it's possible that James the Less was a half-brother or step-brother uh, to uh, Levi. And if that's the case, then there would be a couple of brothers in the, uh, in the uh, group of the apostles. But nevertheless, we see that his family obviously followed Jesus. They were close to Jesus. His mother was very close to Jesus. And you might imagine the impact that she had on him and the impact that Jesus had upon James. And what he taught them and how he fo- they followed him. And even though there's no recorded deeds that they did, I'm sure that there were things that he did in his ministry or in his work in serving God. In our assessment, if our assessment of James's family is correct, we have a father who walked with Jesus and a mother who ministered to our Lord. Wouldn't it be great if all parents wanted to associate themselves with Jesus Christ? Associate themselves in a way that is right and proper. Associate with Jesus through the Word so that they know how to conduct their lives and train their children as they're growing up. What a blessing it is to have faithful parents who are members of the Lord's church. I'm sure that it was a benefit to all, not only us, but all those that have lived throughout the history of mankind when people are following God. The ministry and death of James the Less. Some say that he went to England, Ireland, Spain, and Persia. Again, we don't know if that's a fact. Uh, We know that that's what uh, some believe he did. And he was supposedly sawn in half in Jerusalem after he had been stoned. Another thing that I looked at, some said that he was killed by the blow to the head from a fuller's club. In any event, we see that it's another apostle who gave his life in service to our Lord. Not a very good way to die 
whether he's clubbed, stoned, and sawed in half, we can't imagine going through what some of these individuals went through. And when you think about what they did, how they gave their lives, imagine there are some that believe that this book is not true. They believe that God doesn't exist. And if they died for the cause of Christ, what a waste of their life. And it was Paul who said, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then we are of all people most miserable. And in fact, he is correct. If Jesus isn't who He claimed to be, if this book isn't what it's supposed to be, then guess what? All of us that are Christians are miserable people. Think of all the time that we've wasted following something that isn't true, if it is not true. And then to lose your life because you were a follower of Jesus Christ. This book is true. God is real. Jesus did come to this earth and He died for our sins on the cross. All of that is true. And I believe that history reveals that to us. And so God's Word tells us about it and He wants you and I to be saved. And that's why Jesus did what He did. And that's why... I believe that the apostles did what they did. As I mentioned in our, I believe it was last Sunday, the Bible doesn't record all the history of individuals. It's not a book of biographies or of individuals. It doesn't tell us about all these individuals and what they did and how they lived their lives. It tells us what we need to know, what God sees that we need to know so that you and I can live a faithful life in service to Him. And so we look at people like James Celeste, and we look at other individuals, and we say, what did they do? That's not really what's the important question. It's not what did they do, it's what do we do? What are you doing? What am I doing for the cause of Christ? Well, Judas of James, the second individual that we're looking at tonight, is a man with three names. The name Judas means Jehovah leads or Jehovah be confessed. Judas was also called Labaius, which means courageous, hardy, and bold. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 3, it says, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, Labaius whose surname was Thaddeus. He was also, as we've seen in that verse, called Thaddeus, which means lively or vivacious. And so we see an individual who had great names or meanings behind his names. He's a man that stood with Christ. A man that Jesus called to follow Him. Did Jesus give Him those names? Well, we know that He nicknamed other apostles. We know that He nicknamed James and John who were the sons of thunder in Mark chapter 3 and verse 17. We know that He gave a name to Simon Peter whom He called Cephas. In John chapter 1 and verse 42. And in John chapter 14 and verse 22, it says, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, and this is the Judas that we're studying about tonight, said, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? In this case, Judas was there at the Last Supper. Jesus and His disciples were partaking of the Passover meal in the upper room on that particular occasion. You might remember in John chapter 14, the first few verses of that chapter, He told them to let not their hearts be troubled. And He went on to tell them that He had gone to prepare a place for them, that He was going to prepare a mansion for them. 
And He told them that they knew where He was going. And it was Thomas who spoke up and said, we don't know where you're going. We know not where you're going. Jesus said that He was the way. That Jesus was the way to, to God. You hear people today, different religions saying there's different ways to get to heaven. In fact, uh, we talked about some of those wealth and prosper uh, types of uh, preachers that are out there. I've heard some of them say that there's different ways to get to God. There's what different ways to get to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. He's the only way to get to heaven. And that means I have to go His way, not someone else's way. Not what feels good inside. Not what someone wants me to believe. Not what someone wants me to feel. But it's God's way. And that's the only way that you and I can get to heaven or anyone else on this planet. That's the only way that we can get to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. Philip spoke up and said, "...show us the Father." And suffices. And on that occasion, it was Judas of James who spoke up in John chapter 14 and verse 22 and said, Judas, it said, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Judas, I believe, had a misconception about the kingdom of God. He thought that it was he thought of it in earthly terms instead of spiritual terms. And I think that we see that confusion with some in the New Testament where they were looking for a physical kingdom that Jesus was going to rule on this earth. And you see that today where people are saying that he's going to return and he's going to reign on this earth. And that's not what the Bible teaches. He's going to come a second time. The next time he comes, he's coming with his holy angels. But the Bible also tells us that the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That's what Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning about 8 or verse 9. This world is going to be destroyed. It's not going to stand. He's not going to reign on this earth. He's going to reign in heaven where He's at right now. Where He's at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. Jesus answered in verse 23 was that He would manifest Himself spiritually by abiding in those who loved Him and kept His Word. How does Christ live in us? Through His Word. That's how God lives in us. That's how the Holy Spirit lives in us. That's how they abide in us. And we want them in us. We want them to be a part of us. But guess what? If I don't study the Scripture, which is the Scripture, I should have thought about this more. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So if God's given me everything that I need to be perfect, to be mature as a Christian, if He's given me all of that, then what more can He give me? There is nothing else more. God's Word is sufficient to lead us to heaven if we will follow it. And if we want God, if we want Christ, if we want the Spirit to dwell in us, we need to put that Word in our heart. And we need to study it, learn it, 
As was mentioned in our Bible class, we ask God for wisdom. That wisdom is to help us apply that Word. It's not knowledge. It's not going to be a miraculous knowledge, but it's the wisdom to make the right decisions, to do the right thing, to apply it in a proper way. We ask God to help us. And sometimes that wisdom is developed through experiences that we go through, difficulties, trials. Those things help us to make the right decisions. Because as we mentioned, mentioned before, sometimes when we're going through those difficult times, that's when we seem closer to God. Judas's ministry and, and death, we see that what I've read is he went to Syria and to Persia preaching the gospel. One tradition says that he was shot with an arrow at Ararat. Another says that he was killed with a heavy club. In any event, another individual who died because he believed what the Lord said. He believed what he had seen. Like Nicodemus, (laughs) no one can do these things unless God's with them. Brethren, when we look at what Jesus did, they're recorded for a reason. And it's to build our faith. To help us to believe that what took place is real. Because people can't explain a miracle, they don't want to believe the miracle. There's a lot of things that I cannot explain. But I know that they happened. If you have your Bible, turn with me over to Matthew, the 25th chapter. I believe that there's a lesson from these two individuals that I think will help us to realize our importance in the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several abilities, and straightway he took his journey. <clears throat> then he that would receive the five talents went and traded, and with the same he made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. And so that they that received five talents, or he that received five talents, came and brought another five, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, Thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. 
And his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I had not strawed. Thou oughtst, therefore, to have put your money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him that hath five talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall he be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You say, what does this have to do with this lesson? What does this have to do with these two apostles that we don't know a great deal about? I think that we can learn from these two apostles that God can use people no matter how many talents they have. That He can use individuals with five talents. He can use individuals with two. And He can use individuals that have only one talent. And we can learn that God can and will use those one and two talent men. They don't stand out. These two individuals don't stand out like Peter or Andrew or James and John. But they did what God wanted them to do. They did what Jesus called them to do. And so often we hear people say, let someone else do it. They're better equipped. They have more talent than I do. And many times we let the five talent people do the work that we could be doing ourselves. God needs the two talent people to step up and He needs the one talent people to step up. So often we hear that. We hear the excuses that people give. And there aren't very many five talented people out in the world or out in the church today. But if the church is to evangelize the world, one or two talent people are going to have to help do the job. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, we realize that there was havoc being made of the church. Persecution had begun. And people were being driven away from the areas that they lived in. It says, And therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. I want to ask you, who were those individuals that went everywhere preaching the Word? It was not the apostles on that occasion because they remained in Jerusalem. It was the ordinary, everyday Average people that evangelize the world in their day. And brethren, if we're going to evangelize the world today, it's going to take the five talent and the two talent and the one talent people to do it. We are no different. We must use the opportunities and abilities that we have to the maximum in serving our Lord. We are warned that if it costs us our life, so be it. Our reward is greater. In fact, in Revelation 2 and verse 10, the second half of that verse says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Even if it costs us our life, be faithful to the Lord. It will be worth whatever we have to go through in this life. And though these men were obscure to us. Jesus saw something in them. Something that He needed to get the job done. 
And my friend, Jesus sees something in you and me that says He's calling us. That He's asking us to answer that Gospel call. And He's pleading with us to be obedient to that Gospel. And He's pleading with us as Christians to take that Gospel into the world. And we see from Matthew chapter 28 and verse 48, where it says, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed Me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of His glory, ye shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He's talking to His apostles. And He's telling them that they will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Were these individuals important? They most certainly were. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 14, we find that their names will be on the twelve foundations of that holy city. It says the walls of that city in that verse, the walls of, that, of the city had twelve foundations and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So those people that God chose, simple fishermen, tax collectors, individuals that may be at odds with each other, people that we don't read about, we don't learn much about from the New Testament, Jesus used them to share the Gospel with the world. Maybe, just maybe, we're here today because of one of these individuals that we don't know much about took the Gospel into some part of the world and someone believed it, obeyed it, taught it to someone else and taught it to someone else and kept going and going and going and going. And 2,000 years later, we're here today. God can use every single one of us. I hear people say, I've had people tell me, you don't know what it's like. You stand up there and people listen to you. I'm just down here. Well, you know what? We all are important. Every single one of us. I'm not more important than anyone else. In fact, some of God's greatest service today, I believe, are obscure. Just like these three apostles that we've looked at. You see, we hear the big names in the brotherhood. We hear them talking at different places. But I believe that in small congregations all across this nation, there are people that are preaching the Gospel, that are saving souls because of their effort and their work that they put forth in it. You may never know their name. I may never know their name. But guess what? They're doing the work of God. And if you save one soul, if one soul makes it to heaven, you should rejoice. Because I believe that all of us, myself included, are going to take people with us one place or the other. What are you doing to lead people to Christ? How are you living your life? They're not household names in the brotherhood and in the world. But God knows who they are and what they're doing, and He will reward their effort. In Hebrews 11 and verse 6, the Bible tells us there that without faith it is impossible to please Him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him.
Are you diligently seeking Him? Are you working at following Christ? Are you striving every day of your life to have those Christian graces, to have that fruit of the Spirit in your life so that you can have that abundant life that Jesus came to give us? Or are you uh, kind of lackadaisical about going living a Christian life? That's not what God wants. As we've seen in that parable, if you've got five talents, He expects you to use those. If you have two, He expects you to use them. If you have one, He expects you to use it. What are you doing with the talents that God has given you? I believe that we can learn something from all of these apostles. Even the ones that we know very little about. There's still a lesson for you and I. If you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. You have that opportunity while we stand and sing.